0: With Dr. Fadid Holakwi, Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here, Radio Hamra. Your number to call in won't be available tonight because I'm doing the show remotely, but uh, we will have callers in the next shows next week. Um, Let's get to the books of the week. The book of the week for next week that I'll talk about on next Wednesday show is Emotional by Leonard Mladenow. Emotional, How Feelings Shape Our Thinking by Leonard Mladenow. Uh, The book of the week from last week that I will talk about tonight is 19 by Adam J.T. Robarts. Um, It's a heartbreaking but very powerful book that I hope you will check out and read yourself, um, and I'll talk about it tonight. And it was very poignant for me because the book 19 is about Adam J.T. Robarts, him and his family. They lost their son, Hayden at 19 years of age to cancer. The book is 19 insights that they learned from their 19 year old son who died from cancer. And the reason why I'm doing my show remotely um, is because I am currently in Tennessee and I'm here to uh, commemorate the one year anniversary of the passing of my grandmother who died here last year in June, June 22nd to be exact. And today was actually the first time I got to go to her gravesite today and and say some prayers and be with her in that way. Um, But uh, it was poignant to read this book because of that same theme of death, of celebrating a loved one, celebrating life. And also, as I read this book, I reflected on what I learned from my grandmother. I had close to 90, well, she had close to 90 years of life. I had close to 40 years with her myself. Um, But still, I was able to learn lots of things from her as well. So I might touch on that later on the show, Um, but again, this is a tale of a father's love, a family's love, of a beautiful young man who was taken too early at the age of 19 um, after a battle with cancer that lasted about nine months, but a very inspirational young man indeed. And so the book is presented with this beautiful metaphor of climbing a mountain, and there's different sections in the book, um, preparation to climb, base camp, etc., that look at these different lessons and how they might relate to climbing a mountain. And as Adam J.T. Robarts, the father of Hayden, describes, it was like they were as a family ascending this mountain um, together, or there was this mountain climbing experience that they they all had and so there's these parallels that he makes between climbing and um, what they experienced as a family as you can imagine it's heartbreaking because anytime we lose someone so young uh, parents to have to bury their own child it's always heartbreaking but the the messages are quite inspirational and motivational as well I apologize. I'm having some issues with the sound. That's a little bit distracting. I'm getting a little bit of an echo. Uh, I mean, I don't know if there's anything we can do about it. If not, I'm trying to avoid um, hearing myself by talking just directly into the speaker and not hearing uh, the audio on my end. Um, but back to the book, uh, Hayden, again, was diagnosed with cancer. I, I think it was must have been September or so of 2019, around that time, and he passed May 19th. Um, of 2020. I hope I'm getting that date correct. And uh, the journey they went through, again, heartbreaking, but I'll go through some of these lessons that uh, Adam J.T. Robarts shares in this book, these 19 insights. And some of the early ones, acceptance, authenticity, positivity, um, were quite important for me, Except especially the acceptance and authenticity. I often talk about how We can think of emotions in a certain way that we view the um, quote-unquote positive ones, like feeling happy, feeling good in some way. Those are the good ones, and then there's the bad ones. And uh, uh, Mr. Robarts actually shares insights from Susan David, the Harvard psychologist who wrote the book and came up with the concept of emotional agility and talks about how there really isn't this benefit to making feelings distinguish in this way, of positive and negative, that we really need all of them, um, that we have to uh, really recognize all of them. to me, it's always about the information we get from feelings. Even physical pain tells us something. Something might even be wrong with your body, but we need that feeling. And similarly, sadness or anger can be very, very informative, and we don't want to ignore them or to... Um, fall victim to things like toxic positivity, where we think we always have to feel good, always have a good day, always have a good mood. Uh, Realistically, as human beings, we're going to experience a whole range of human emotions, and it's important to actually acknowledge them and accept them. And without acceptance, we can't live an authentic life, which was uh, the second lesson. And there's this very nice quote, I am who I am, and it is good enough. And so often we see uh, a simple quote or simple piece of advice that it's very hard to actually execute and I felt that when I saw that quote I am who I am and it is good enough because I think so much of what we experience individually and as a society would um, be diminished if we all felt good enough by being ourselves not feeling like we have to hide who we are and um, as is described in the book Hayden was very much himself and okay with he was. You, you feel this very quiet comfort in, in himself uh, throughout the book when you hear stories about him and things he did and things he said. And so authenticity, I think, was a beautiful insight that um, the author, Adam J.T. Robart, shares about his son, Hayden, that he learned from him. Um, and I think that's a beautiful message that's in the book, one that relates to one of the last lessons that comes up, which is accompaniment. And so I think accompaniment's a beautiful um, concept, you know, Radio Hamra, the name of our radio station. In a way, it's like someone who's a companion or going on the same path together. So actually, I thought that was quite nice, this theme of accompaniment. And, uh, you know, he describes how, of course, they were doing so much to help take care of their son in these last months of his life, and they were able to basically do a home hospice which is quite nice and actually last year with my grandmother we were able to do the same for about two three weeks have her at home when it seemed that nothing more could be done for her medically at the hospital to at least allow for her to have a more comfortable last few weeks and to be able to spend it with us and spend it in the comfort of home rather than a hospital Um, but so you know he shares these different experiences they have of trying to take care of him and all that they did but there's a beautiful way that as much as they were accompanying him, he was also accompanying them. And he speaks for himself in that sense. That as his father, of course, he was doing so much to help take care of him, but he was learning so much with him. And so they ascended uh, this mountain together as a family, as individuals. But sadly, um, he had to descend himself to tell the story, as is often the case the hero's journey, The hero comes back to tell their story sometimes the hero themselves does not make it back and others tell their stories to the world and that's the case with this book where uh, Hayden's father shares the story with us which is heartbreaking yet again quite inspirational Um, there's also some beautiful themes and lessons things like mindfulness and I think you feel it so poignantly when he's describing some of these moments they share together as a family and Uh, I think, sadly, we oftentimes forget how precious life is and how we don't know how much time we will have together. We take it as some kind of a granted. I often talk about how we, to avoid the anxiety of death that many can experience, there's almost this way we deny death. Not in some logical way. I don't think most people would think they're not going to die. But we almost live as if or think as if and act as if we won't be dying or that we can't die and don't have to worry about it, that there will always be time to do whatever it is we want to do later, which I think is unfortunate because then we don't actually take the opportunities as they come for us or as they are there present for us. And so mindfulness, I think, is beautifully illustrated in some of these moments that you see in the book where the family is together, where they're sharing a moment together, and they are also present to that experience. I actually think it's quite heartbreaking that when we look at how most of us are living our lives most of the time, we're not even aware of what we're going through, what we're experiencing, and then it's gone. And so we only have a fleeting experience of time uh, on on Earth, and yet we spend so much of it not even experiencing what we can experience, because we're, we're thinking about things that the future, or the past, or imagining something. And there's some time for all of those things. We need to reflect on the past, we need to plan for the future. Using imagination can help us think about new opportunities, new things that we can do, or new realities for ourselves and the world. But at the same time, there is so much more that we can experience in the moment that we want to make sure the majority of our time is spent being mindful and being very present. And related to that in these themes is uh, one of the lessons, one of the last lessons that come up is time. And, and the quote for that title, there's there's a quote that starts, well, there's a few quotes from different world religions that start every title or different teachings, but then there's a kind of a, a epigraph, I guess it's called the beginning of each chapter, and for that one, for time, it's never miss your moment. And so here we see the family um, sharing some moments that, you know, you can't have a moment twice. Some moments come and 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 you only can experience it that one time, and if you don't capture it, it's gone. And so you see some moments where uh, there's one where Hayden was ill and near the end of his his earthly existence. Um, and but finally one day he does say he wants to go outside, and and be taken outside, and the family finds a way. You I know, mean, it's almost like they rehearsed it, as it's described. He says it's almost like we planned it because we couldn't miss a step, but they got him to the lake. To, to share this experience together as a family. And so it's really, in those times, it's so clear. We know that someone is about to pass. We know that their death is near. But it can be good, as as the whole theme of this book is to learn these insights from this 19-year-old who lost his life much too soon, uh, things that we can all keep in mind for our own lives, that you don't know when you'll have another moment to um, experience the things you have, to be around the people you're with, to have that moment again. It will never exist again, never in that exact way in that exact time. And so it can be important to to remember that and how we experience ourselves. Um, selflessness. Gosh, there are so many heartbreaking um, quotes and, and things that you hear Hayden say so beautiful. He clearly was wise beyond his years. Uh, they say once when he was a child, he he said something that he hopes to, to to die, to give his life for someone else, essentially. So he hopes that he would die saving someone else's life. And, and as uh, his father beautifully puts in the book, it's as if he did save their lives or save many lives and touch so many lives um, through himself and how he lived his life. And I think it's beautiful that his father wrote this book to share those insights with us. Um, but he also... Uh, Hayden said that he wanted to write a self-help book, but he wanted to take the self out of self-help. And I thought that was um, really powerful Uh, as someone who's read many self-help books in general, but also uh, on this show. um, I think that is a powerful message. It's complicated when we obviously have ourselves to take care of and to be aware of and to learn about but often a lot of the issues we have is when we are too preoccupied with ourselves in unhealthy ways or when we're too fixated on our own, um, let's say, expectations or wishes or things that happen that we don't realize we're getting in our own way of even having a pleasant experience of life, of, of living the life we can live. And so if we can be focused on helping others and taking care of others and making the world a better place, we often will actually feel much better. It's a, it's a huge paradox, actually. It seems paradoxical on the surface, especially when you consider individuals who are experiencing depression, because there's research that has found that when people are depressed, if they actually can do community service or acts of service and giving for others, they can feel better uh, and do feel better. And this can be paradoxical because we can think when someone is depressed, they are so down and feeling so low, and feeling themselves like they're weak. So if anything, we would think they would want to be taken care of or have someone, um, you know, take care of them or to be nurtured. Who who are who would they think they can be to help someone or who, who would they think uh, they are to have the energy to take care of someone? We find that when we are selfless, when we serve others, we ourselves feel much better. So I thought that was really, uh, it's funny, but also uh, very deep, that if we take the self out of self-help, we might actually help ourselves and help others um, as well, which I think is very, very true. And as as I mentioned, Hayden was quite wise beyond his years, and you see that throughout the book and the ways he touched individuals and things he he thought about. And um, as his father says, how many 19-year-olds do you know who have a will? But he wrote a will, but it was less about and wasn't really about the giving away possessions or dividing up possessions because really there wasn't much for him to, to do in that uh, form, but it was a more of a list of wishes or hopes. And, and one of them was this, which I'll read to you now. Live a life filled with joy and try to consciously consider how to bring joy to the lives of those around you as well. Live a life filled with joy and try to consciously consider how to bring joy to the lives of those around you as well. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a beautiful message for all of us to consider, to consciously consider how to bring joy to the lives of those around you. I think that's beautiful. Um, And also they share a note that he had written uh, in a notebook, and I'll I'll share that with you as well. This is from Hayden. Uh, They found it after Uh, He passed away, I believe, or maybe I'm not sure exactly when they found this note, but this is a note he'd written, which I'll read to you now to conclude this this segment. I don't want people to disrupt their lives grieving, keep working, keep loving, keep smiling, keep contributing to the community and to the cause, and remember me with a nice haircut, not bald, a smiley face. I want to be a beacon of joy and happiness, whether alive or in the next world please fulfill this wish for me if I'm unable to do so myself. Try whenever you can to bring a smile to people's faces, to be a light in the dark room. So do what you can to help others. And so um, I I hope you will read the book. And actually, I got a message from the author very kindly, Adam J.T. Robarts, who offered to send a few copies for listeners. So if you are interested, I'll be picking a few individuals to send copies of the books to. You can reach out to me on social media. Um, but I'm very very grateful to um, Adam J.T. Robarts for writing this book about his son, Hayden, a uh, very inspirational young man. Uh, my, my condolences and love to, to him and his family for having to go through that loss, and so much appreciation for turning that loss into something meaningful to the world, and in that way, continuing Hayden's um, message and desire to serve others, this book itself can be an act of service that I think can, can help many people. So I hope you will read the book um, yourselves to, to get those insights from it. So thank you to Adam J.T. Robarts for writing this book. And uh, for me, it was very meaningful reading it, especially on reflecting on the passing of my grandmother one year ago uh, this June. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, I was talking about the book 19 by Adam J.T. Robarts, 19 Insights Learned from a 19-Year-Old with Cancer. And you know, during the commercial break, I was thinking about how I was having some audio, technical-type difficulties. Uh, definitely distracted me and threw me off a little bit. And was, I, I looked at the book some more and was reminded of, of one of the lessons I mentioned or insights, which is acceptance. I said, you know what? i got to just accept that that's just the way it is, and I'm going to do the best that I can with that uh, and figuring out a way to make that work. Uh, but I was a little bit disheartened because I wanted to make sure I gave my best also in, in presenting the book, which I, I found quite um, inspirational, very beautiful and powerful. And I hope you will read it, too, nineteen by Adam J.T. Robarts. And you can find it on most booksellers, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target, Indiebound. And others. So, I hope you will check it out. And as I mentioned, if you message me, I will be picking a few winners um, for the copies of the books that uh, kindly were offered to me by Adam J.T. Robarts. So, please go ahead and do so. And so, as I mentioned, the reason why I'm doing the show remotely um, tonight is that I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. To uh, visit and to be with family, but also to commemorate and celebrate the life of my grandmother who passed away last June, June 22nd, 2021, and got to go to her grave site for the first time since the funeral. And uh, very beautiful um, to do that and get to, to experience that. And based on the book, I hope uh, the author of the book, Adam J.T. Robarts, is on mind. I wanted to share some insights and lessons I learned from my grandmother in the time that I I got to have her in my life. So some of my own insights from her that I I learned that I I want to share with you tonight. Um, So as I mentioned, I was very lucky to have a grandmother in my life till I was uh, 39 years old. Not everyone gets that, so I'm very grateful. And as saddened as I was by her death, I was very grateful for the life I got to have with her, the memories and the time I got to have with her, so many memories together. And so there were many things that I I learned from my grandmother, but I wanted to share just a few of them uh, tonight. One was her incredible devotion to loved ones. Really, if I thought about all that she did from morning to night until she was too old to do so, was to take care of others, um, which was primarily in things like making food, um, sewing clothes, uh, tailoring clothes, doing all sorts of things of that nature. But she was constantly doing things, and so related to that, working hard and, and being productive in a positive way. She was constantly doing things for others. But it was her love was through her devotion. You didn't doubt that she loved you. Uh, interestingly, she was not the most verbally or physically affectionate. She was very kind with her words, but was not uh, overwhelmingly expressing things in words and physical touch. You know, an embrace and a kiss. What I actually thought was quite beautiful was, in those last few weeks, I, I feel like she kissed me more times than she had most of my life. She was co- constantly wanting to kiss and hug and and hold hands and things like that, which is actually I enjoyed every moment of that. But for most of her life, that wasn't her way of showing love. That wasn't her love language to show it through words and through um, physical touch, but through actions. Gosh, it was just nonstop. She was doing things for others. I was actually thinking about it today as I was preparing for the show that I don't have many memories of her just relaxing and doing nothing, almost none. When she was sick at the end of her life, of course, she no longer could, but she was almost always moving and doing something um, for others. So that's something I definitely learned from her and try to learn from her. So by that, I mean, it's a lesson in the sense that I'm trying to keep learning it. But to express devotion to whoever it is you love and making sure they feel it through those actions. What can you do for them, which uh, Hayden mentioned a lot about service and serving others. So there's obviously going to be some parallels there, I'm sure, in the lessons I've learned from my grandmother, but um, that's definitely one of them is to be devoted to others and also to helping, Not I mentioned family, but my grandmother would serve others as well. She was constantly... Uh, doing things for people she didn't know. Many times she prepared food that I took to uh, homeless shelters and even a couple times came with me there. And uh, these were in her slightly younger years, but she was still um, older at that point, but she would come and serve the food that she had prepared to the individuals at the homeless shelter and was, again, just nonstop. That was something about her was that she was just doing things and helping and that work ethic was was incredible. We were just actually just talking about that this evening, but we're incredible work ethic and drive to do those good things. Um, and related to that, I, as you get older, you know, someone, although they die and leave Earth, whatever your belief is about where we go, if we go anywhere, but... When you no longer physically have them with you, your relationship with them doesn't end. And something in my relationship with my grandmother that I've recognized even more in this last year and reflecting on her life was how much perseverance she had. She experienced many challenges that I won't get into all of them, but from a very young age, losing her, both her parents at a very young age and many challenges in, in immigrating to the United States, but she would just continue persevering, learning the language. Her English actually was quite good, um, considering when she came to the country and really not needing to learn the language, but she was always studying, always asking words, writing them down, reading in English, when she could have very comfortably just exposed herself only to Farsi language, books and TV and radio. She was constantly immersing herself in English so that she can keep learning and, and was quite good at it. But she was always persevering to do things and take on challenges. Uh, I was reflecting on how I would go visit her at whatever age and she would always be ready to provide food and things. And she didn't have a car. She wouldn't drive. So she was taking several buses to go to the right place to get the right things to make sure everyone was, was taken care of. But there was no stopping her. She would if she wanted to do something, she got it done and she made sure she did that. And and really, I don't remember her ever having an ill intention. So she got things done, but they were always good things and helping others and doing good things for others, which was quite remarkable. So um, that to me was was always something um, special that I learned from her, that she was always doing the good things, but also working so hard to get those things done. So that was another lesson that I I got to learn from my grandmother, and I'm very grateful um, for that. And so um, I, I think what I also appreciated from my grandmother was how much she was consistent in what she did. She would do certain classes or do certain things with other people, but she did them every week, every day, whatever it was, consistently. And I always found that so inspirational that no matter what was going on, she was consistent with those things. I think some of that I have myself in some aspects of life being consistent, but also can incorporate it more and more um, into my life. But that consistency was something that was was quite amazing. Um, as I mentioned, the doing things for others, that's something that I try to take to heart because I realize how much she w- would do that. And I'm remembering all the times that, she would ask me if someone needed something, even people that she knew, my friends or other people, if she can do something for them. So I mentioned this incredible sense of wanting to do things for others. I don't know if I've met someone like that. Um, near the end of her life, when she at times would have certain comforts, not much, she would want some water or want something, and she would ask us for it, it, it was almost... Um, surprising, I should say, in some ways, because I realized at that point she'd almost never asked for anything. And she really had never said, can you do this for me or bring this for me or do that for me? She was very, very strong and independent. And of course, I believe we want to strive to be interdependent, that we do need one another in life. And we do need to rely on others and allow them to be there for us. But I recognize that how incredible she was able to be an immigrant in a different country unable to do things like drive or uh, get around in certain ways but seemed somehow to always find a way to take care of things and take care of herself and be very self-sufficient in that way Um, she was also very devoted she was um, a baha'i and very strong baha'i and taught me so many things like prayers and, and things of that nature um that she was very, very devoted and steadfast. And so I got to see that very clearly demonstrated by her, someone who was very steadfast, very strong in her faith, and again, consistent in how she did things. And also, my grandmother taught me an insight that was just um, very powerfully shown to me last year, the value of life through her death. She was the first person that I got to experience so closely her death. And it was, of course, very painful, very sad. Um, but in this book, 19, Adam J.T. Robarts talks about that experience of being with Hayden in those last moments, last months, but especially those last moments when he was leaving this earthly existence. And seeing my grandmother those last few weeks, it's something I'm so grateful for. When I came here to Tennessee, it was about two plus weeks before she died because we thought we might lose her any day. And so I didn't know if I would actually see her at all, but I was grateful that I had those last two and a half weeks before she died to be by her side, to hold hands, to experience one another. Um, But to see that transition out of this earthly existence was something very, very powerful for me and something that I will never forget and something that was part of my process about recognizing how much I was not aware of my own death or in that denial of death was not accepting the value of my life enough. And so through that, it was another insight into this concept that if we don't recognize our death and the reality of our death, we tend to undervalue our life because we don't recognize how precious it is, how, precious it is, how fleeting it is, and how we don't know how long we will have it. And so um, that it also was very powerful, and I'm grateful. Although it was heartbreaking and sad to be here and to see her, I'm so grateful that I didn't miss it, that I got to have that experience and share those last moments that became those last memories with her. And so I'm very grateful for that, very grateful for my grandmother. This was just uh, some thoughts on the things I learned from her, but I experienced so much by having her in my life. Very grateful and love her and miss her very much. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, in this last segment, I want to actually talk about our relationship to loved ones. I touched on in the last segment that although a loved one might die, might pass away, it doesn't mean your relationship with that person ends. And so people can have lots of thoughts and reactions about this. In In this segment, I won't get into different types of beliefs of an afterlife, and what you might believe about that based on your religion or personal belief about what happens to us after we physically die. That's for other types of shows or other discussions. But I wanted to talk about the experiences of those who are still here after someone passes away, after someone dies. And people can sometimes think, well, you're crazy to talk to someone or to think you have a relationship with them when they're no longer here. But I think that's absolutely not true because it is part of our experience and relationships that we relate to each other even if we are not physically next to each other. Or if we think of it in a more abstract way, even if we're connected physically next to each other, we're experiencing it internally in some way. So the experience is always internal, whatever is happening externally. So in many cultures, it's very common to talk to the dead. That's very much okay. Um, I've had clients and heard people share stories where they're worried, does that mean I'm crazy or think something mean something is wrong with me? Absolutely not. Um, even taking it another step back, if you think of how we relate to ourselves, we have multiple selves within our, ourselves at any given time. You might think about certain things or you might talk to yourself in a certain way, And you, for example, might have a part of you that's trying to calm you down or say certain things that are calming you down. Or you might have a part that's trying to, uh, you might even judge yourself. You have a negative voice at times that might say certain things that are negative or harmful. So you can have different parts of yourself within your own self. So we're relating to really these different aspects. Maybe Hayden's uh, idea of taking the self out of self-help. What does that even mean to have a self that itself can be the, the, the cause or source or topic of many discussions. But anyway, coming back to this theme of um, relating to someone after they've died, we can imagine someone who's living talking to us, right? Someone might be somewhere and say, you know what, I was really worried about this test, but I imagine what would my mom say if she was here? And then you imagine the mom saying something to yourself and because of that, you might have a certain way of calming yourself down or a certain way of relaxing because you imagine that mother um, your own mother who's alive but isn't physically there in that moment helping you feel better about yourself in some way or calming you down so that can be something to to consider that we can talk to others even if they're here so why wouldn't we able to talk to them if they're no longer alive of course we we still can do that so We definitely can have communications um, with others when they are uh, no longer with us. And so it makes sense that we can do that. So we can keep this in mind, that we can have um, this relationship, connection with others when they are no longer here. And so we want to keep that in mind, that that doesn't mean you're crazy or weird anyway. Makes sense. So that relationship doesn't disappear just because the... Person is not physically here. Not only that, the relationship can evolve with someone who's no longer here. And that might seem strange, but our relationships are themselves living things, even if it is with someone who's no longer with you. Because you can reflect on things and think about things in a way that might change the way that you experience that individual. This is, of course, something that very clearly happens in therapy, where someone might talk about a loved one who has died, who's no longer with them, or they don't have a relationship with, but let's say physically no longer present if they've died, and they might actually change the way they feel about that person. They might forgive the person who hurt them, even though they're no longer here. So, although the individual is no longer physically present, that person's relationship with that individual can be very, very different. So our relationships don't end just because that physical relationship or that physical life of that individual is ending. Uh, I've also learned of examples and stories of individuals who have learned things after someone has died that has affected the way they felt about them. So, for example, the story like this. Um, A young man, or now he's an older man, but he remembers that his father would be late to his soccer games, but sometimes not show up to his soccer games, and felt, you know, betrayed or felt unsupported, unloved, and had a lot of anger and hurt towards his father for not coming to his soccer games when he was younger. It wasn't only after his father had passed away that he learned that his father actually had cancer but didn't tell his son because he thought it would hurt him too much, and so when he was late do some of his games is because he was receiving some type of medical treatment that would make him either not be able to make it or have to come late. And sometimes he would even be coming, even though he was feeling quite weak to the Suns soccer games. So now we can see that that individual, he had a huge change in how he felt about those same incidents that he already had feelings and thoughts and conclusions about. My dad is selfish, my dad is not loving, my dad doesn't care about me, my dad is this kind of person, and all those negative things. Now with this new information, even though the father was no longer alive, he had a very different feeling about that. It's like, wow, not only was it not bad, or was he not being selfish, he was was being very selfless by coming. He was showing his love by he thought the right thing to do is not to tell me, but still showing up to my games in that state, no matter what, how different does he now feel about that same father and especially about those same memories? This is another thing that comes up in therapy where people say, well, I can talk about my past, but it's not going to change what happened. What happened is what's happened. And, of course, at one level we can say our memories are not necessarily accurate representations of what happened, then be miss a lot of things, and, of course, that's its own type of thinking about it. But even if we just take that, yes, you remembered what happened, and we can never change, obviously, anything that happened in the past, but we very much can alter and affect the ways you feel about things that happened in your past. It might even be something in the relationship with yourself. You're beating yourself up over something you did. We can never change the action that you took, what you did or didn't do in your past when you reflect on it and now you think about it. But it's possible to slowly reduce that guilt. It would be part of forgiving yourself, that guilt or shame that you might be caring about what you did. So what we can see is that we don't ever have the possibility to change the past, but we definitely can change the way we feel about the past. And so similarly, we can't bring someone back to life. We can't relive those memories but even if someone is no longer with us it doesn't mean our relationship is not itself still a living thing. Uh, even when I was here back at the home where I saw my grandmother last, going up the stairs where I used to go to her room the first time I did that it was a, a very intense experience because I was remembering how many times last year, probably over a hundred times I would go up those stairs to go see her, be with her, check in on her. Um, I, I read in this book, um, Adam J.T. Robarts was talking about you know, looking at his son's chest. And I remember looking at my grandmother's chest at times to see and make sure she was still breathing. And so so many times last year, I went up those stairs to see her. And so this time when I went up the stairs, all those memories came back. And so I still think, oh, does that mean I'm crazy? Does that mean I still think she's alive? No, it means that your brain is a predicting brain. That's what our brains do. They're predicting machines. And so when it's back in that place that it experienced something so many times, it's, of course, going to bring back all those expectations and thoughts and memories that it has there. And so I had that experience. And it brought back feelings. It brought back even smells thoughts about what that was like, or when I was driving on the street, coming to the home for the first time, the memory of how many times we would come home. And when we get close to the streets that would that would get to the house, I'll start thinking about, okay, I'll go up to her grandmother and see how she's doing, check in on her, spend some time with her, and then I'll do whatever it is I had to do next. And so I was like, oh, but, you know, sadly, there is no grandmother here for me to see. So it was heartbreaking and sad for me to think about that. Um, but I reflected on her and my love for her, and that I still have her with me. And as I said, even though I physically can't learn anything from her in present, I continue to learn from her and reflecting on her and her life. So even though we don't have a physical relationship with someone, or if we don't, we no longer have a physical relationship, it doesn't mean we no longer have a relationship with them. So your relationship with your loved one does not have to end just because their physical life, has ended, and we should not feel uh, worried or concerned if we still think about them, if we still reflect on them, and even if we still talk to them. You might have a conversation thinking about what they might even say to you, what do you think they would say. And of course, you can't really know, but there's a way that you've internalized your relationship with them that there probably are things that you might think about how they would react and respond and might feel quite good. And another thing to keep in mind is that grieving is a very complex and complicated process that we all will go through in unique ways, depending on what we have experienced in our life, how we lost that individual, what we experienced with them. And no two people will grieve the same way. Even no two people will grieve the same loss the same way in the same family. And it's important to give each other the space to go through that in our own experience in our own ways, whatever works for us, there isn't this one way that we all have to do it, that everyone has to be sad for this long, or not be sad, or be this way, or do that, or everyone should go to therapy, or they should not go to therapy, or they need to cry or not cry. We all want to have our space to experience that loss in the way that is right for us. One of the main, uh, one of the messages and the insights in the book tonight was acceptance, and I think... And detachment. And it's important to be detached from knowing what we or thinking we know the right way to go through something like a loss, a death. It's not something that everyone knows or anyone knows for everyone else. And to not impose that on others either. Even my own family last year, we went through so much of it together, which was really helpful to have that experience of being together as we had that loss, reflecting on it, celebrating her life, sharing and supporting one another as we were saddened and whatever we went through. But at the same time, it's also very important to recognize, as I did and saw, that we were going through it differently, too. Sometimes we would feel things at different times. Sometimes we would feel things that someone else might not feel. We all had to go through that journey individually, Um, and that itself was important to respect and recognize and something that we talked about. I thought was quite nice with some of my family members. We communicated extensively about going through this and allowing each other to go through it in our own ways. Um, but almost always, grieving brings up lots of feelings. You're going to be sad. You're going to be mad. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be all sorts of things. You might even be mad at the person who's died. That can very often happen, too. Usually what happens is when someone dies, all the feelings of that relationship will come up for you. So be ready for that. It's not just sad and missing feelings. Sometimes you might even be mad at them and you no longer can have the conversations to resolve that with them, but as I've talked about in this segment, you can still resolve those issues as best as you can individually and in your relationship with that person within yourself, whether it's in ther- through therapy or, or on your own, it still will happen. So. I know that my grandmother is physically no longer here. got to go to her grave site to see where she is buried, but I know I physically cannot interact with her anymore, but it does not mean my relationship with her has end ended. And I hope that you will recognize that with your loved ones as well. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. A very big thank you to Amir, who is in the studio back in Los Angeles, allowing so me to do the show remotely. Be kind and take risks, and have a wonderful night.